0: Hi, this is Jill Rogers from the MIT Press. I'm here with Michael Gervich, who was the guest editor of the first of two issues from a Computer Music Journal on the theme of human-computer interaction, or HCI. Hi, Michael. Hi. Michael, you're a lecturer at the Sonic Arts Research Center, which is a department of Queen's University, Belfast. What sort of topics do you focus on there?
1: sorts a diverse place. We have uh, researchers in electrical engineering, we have composers, we have performers, psychologists, designers, everything in between. I guess I'm one of the in-betweens, I, I suppose. I create music myself, I create installations myself, I create uh, musical instruments. Primarily, I guess my research is about um, issues about performing music with interactive computer systems. It's really about, I guess, what's different when we play music with a computer than when we play music with traditional instrument and you know how that's different from the perspective of a performer of a composer and um, from a spectator as well
0: how would you define the fields of computer music and hci and i'm also curious to know how it is exactly that you came to be the guest editor for this hci issue of the journal
1: well, I, I came to be the guest editor through um, suggestion of uh, one of the associate editors of the journal, Lance Wise, who I actually worked with for a while in Singapore. I guess he was interested in sort of the work that I'm doing and, and the work here at Sark, which has really become a, a center for issues of, um, uh, of interaction in computer music. Um, so computer music, you know... I guess it's a bit self-explanatory. It has everything to do with you know, music and computers, which is interesting because, as to say, it's almost every facet of music these days. I guess we can think of it in terms of the way that computers are involved in creation, uh, composition, or production of music, the way that computers are used in, in dissemination or distribution or performance of music, and then, of course, the way we use computers when we listen to music or consume music or even interact with music now. Computer music's interesting because uh, it's existed in academia for quite a while, and it really, I think, grew out of the sort of avant-garde academic music tradition. But that's really changed recently. I think we're in a really interesting time for computer music because there's a lot of interaction between the academic and more commercial or popular aspects of of, um, computer music these days. We're starting to become aware of one another and starting to influence one another. I think you're just as likely to see a laptop, you know, on stage at a, at a concert here in Sark as you are at a gig in a nightclub these days, which is, <laughs> uh, I think, creates an interesting situation. So HCI, HCI is a tough one. I guess I, I have a sort of non-standard way of thinking about it. I think about HCI in terms of the way that... Computers and humans' behaviors influence one another. So one aspect is is how we design computer systems to behave the way we want them to, but also that means that we need to understand how humans behave, what our abilities are, and what we expect computers to do, and what, what we want to get out of our relationships with computers. So that's not so easy because we don't always necessarily know what we want out of a computer. There's all kinds of new things that computers allow us to do, and HCI in a lot of ways is about discovering what what those possibilities are.
0: So that that sounds like a a massive problem to tackle because you've got to have a good understanding of humans, and a good understanding of computers, which are just two giant fields in themselves. So to try to narrow that down a bit, can you list some of the the main categories of human-computer interfaces as far as as musical applications go? So including what you just mentioned, um, performance and composition.
1: I guess the vast majority of attention most recently has been on human-computer interaction and performance There's this term DMI, which stands for Digital Musical Instrument, that's recently come about. I guess that's probably where we've instinctively seen the most room for innovation, because if we look at the sort of music, the traditional music process, we, you know, composers sort of only have really a few ways of writing music, but if you look at the diversity of kinds of musical instruments that are out there, it's amazing, even with traditional instruments. So I think... We've tended to sort of focus on how can we build new things to create music performance. You know, I guess one way we can see it as is, you know, we just got really sick and tired of seeing keyboards, synthesizer <laughs> keyboards. But also, what's exciting recently is that uh, sensing and embedded computing systems have become really accessible and really cheap. So it's it's quite easy to build new performance systems. So in that sense, I, I guess another way to think about it is there's a strong focus on tangible computing or what what we call physical computing in HCI. You know, in terms of composition, I think we're starting to see similar trends, but traditionally composition systems have been software-based. A couple of the articles in this issue have actually focused on music production software, which is used to compose, you know, most pop music these days. And it's interesting because the software is fairly standard, but what um, some of the authors discovered is that the software doesn't support the kinds of activities that producers really want to do. I think that this is one of the interesting areas where we're going to see a lot of activity. Personally, I think that a lot of the richness of early electronic music came from the diversity of physical devices and interfaces in the composition studio. You know, you can think of composers back in the '50s and '60s using big old clunky synthesizers <laughs> and um, tape machines. But you know, the computer music composition studio is really just a computer and a mouse and a keyboard and some speakers. So I think um, we're going to start seeing a lot more recognition of the importance of physical engagement in the in the creation of music or in the you know the compositional process.
0: So what does the field of HCI stand to learn from? the field of computer music, do these, these interfaces um, require capabilities that people in HCI haven't really thought about yet?
1: That's a really good question. <laughs> I think that the area of developing skill is something that musicians and computer musicians know a lot about, and it's not so much of a concern in HCI. Musicians develop physical you know, motor skills over long periods of time, And HCI tends to want to minimize the time it takes to master something, which means that their interfaces tend to be really simple and really generic. But in computer music, we don't want generic. We want to see someone master something, and we also want them to be able to draw on skills that they already have. I think that, you know, we recognize that there is aesthetic value to skilled action, and um, that's something that I I think HCI kind of overlooks. And it's it's really... Mm only very recently starting to be talked about in hci you know the value of someone doing a manual task and so i think we're we're really facing that issue head on uh, and it's not just for the benefit of the spectator but you know we enjoy watching a performer you know enjoy themselves while they're playing and this issue of developing skill is a really big one i think that that said, the issue of spectatorship is is a really interesting one for us in computer music as well. That is a bit overlooked in HCI. You know, when we watch someone on stage using a computer system, it brings up all these questions about how do we know what they're doing? Do we understand what they're doing? Is it important that we understand what they're doing? And, and how does it make us? How does that make us feel? You know, in, in HCI and like traditional devices, I think we learn a lot about how something works by watching other people do it.
0: When I go to a concert and I, it's just like a laptop, essentially, and some fancy lights and maybe like a confetti machine, I can't help but have this little feeling of that the performer is cheating a little bit. You know, because I, when, when I go to a concert, I still expect real instruments and, you know, microphones and vocals and that sort of thing. And sometimes I feel like when it's just... A laptop that I'm getting cheated out of a, a performance. Is there a way you can like counter that feeling? And do, you know, do you think other people feel that way as well?
1: Absolutely. There have been you know articles written about this issue. Actually, it's a it's a real challenge and it's a real problem. The way I, I guess there's a few answers to that. One gets back to the, this question of skill. Computer music and digital systems in general tend to rely on you know, intellectual skills or cognitive skills, whereas musical instruments, traditional instruments depend on these kinds of physical motor skills. And they are different kinds of things. They're very different skill sets. And there's a question about how do we appreciate someone's intellectual skills in, in a performance? Is there some way that being a good coder, you know, being mm-hmm. a good knob twiddler can be communicated or perceived by an audience? Then there's this question of authenticity as well. How do we really understand who's in control? And I think that's one of the big questions about, you know, one of the big questions for the design of these kinds of systems. Uh, is there some way that we can make this this experience or this kind of control available to spectators? I I recently did a study which was very interesting. We showed spectators uh, videos of digital instruments that they had never seen before, and Asked them, you know, a bunch of questions about how well they understood what was happening and their kinds of experiences. But one of the interesting things that came out was some people actually had an aesthetic experience which involved not knowing what was happening. To them, the sort of mystery of it, there's a, a bit of a sense of magic that they found enjoyable. Of course, actually, Andy Schloss wrote in a recent paper that, paraphrasing, but too much magic is is not a good thing.
0: You talked about what HCI can learn. From computer music. On the flip side of that, is there are there things that um, the field of computer music can learn from the field of HCI?
1: Absolutely. This is, um, I guess. This was one of my major motivations that I tried to bring to this issue, and I think it comes through. And, and one thing would be the diversity of methodologies used in HCI. In this uh, issue on HCI, Steve Benford writes a paper that sort of summarizes some of the ethnographic work that he's done in interactive, game-like performance situations. You know, ethnographic methods give, give like really detailed, situated accounts of real people's experiences. And I think in computer music, we tend to say, oh, well, I'm a musician, I know performers, I know who my audience is. But we don't really sit down and collect detailed accounts of who these people are, what they want to see, what they're expecting to see, what their experiences are like. So I guess these kinds of methodologies, I think one of the other things that, that we need to learn from HCI is, I guess we tend to approach the creation of digital systems of performance systems a bit a bit too much like we approach composition which is like the sort of visionary work of a solitary genius but you know in hci that that would that would sort of seem absurd because you know successful new designs or products really need to emerge from years of research and practice and they involve communities of people they involve you know knowing who who is listening, who is using the products, um, testing them, we have the tendency to sort of build it and play it and move on. And uh, I think we need to start developing more of these kinds of research methods from ethnography, from psychology, that are, that are sort of the, the staples of HCI.
0: As you were working on this special issue of Computer Music Journal, which is the the winter 2010 issue, did you come across anything in the manuscripts that was new to you, or that you hadn't thought about before, or was really shedding light on part of the field that doesn't get a lot of play?
1: Yeah, a couple things come to mind. I guess the first that surprised me to some extent was the focus on music software, the the extent to which people are, you know, doing actually very well-informed research in terms of HCI about music software. As I said before, I, I tend to think about the trends of HCI and computer music as really being about performance. But uh, there was an article by Katie Wilkie that looked at um, the ways that conceptual metaphors, which is a, a theory from Lakoff and Johnson that had a lot of influence on HCI but the way that these are used in conceptions of music and then looking at software like GarageBand, in fact, and looking at how how these metaphors are are implemented in music software. And I was really fascinated because you know, we tend to take the kinds of representations of music and sound in software programs for granted. And I was really amazed to see how these related to the language that we use to talk about music just you know, simple things like, you know, pitches being vertical, pitches ascending or descending. Think about how that is really brought to bear in a piece of music software. One other thing that, that fascinated me, I guess, a bit more on a personal level is there's a really incredible interview by Garcia Uzunian with the sound artist Paul Marinas. I've known Paul for quite a while now. He um, is a professor at Stanford where I did my PhD, but I guess I, I had never realized... Until reading this interview, the extent to which Paul really worked and collaborated with some of the early pioneers of electronic music like David Tudor and Robert Ashley, and the profound effect that these had on his work. Paul's work is sort of about sound technology uh, as much as it uses sound technology as a medium, but I guess now I tend to think of his work as being much more musical than I, than I ever did and, and I think it's really fascinating because, you know, Paul is is a really world-leading innovator in, in interactive sound art, but to know that he had these roots in music uh, really sheds a new light on what he does. I was also amazed at the number of... Um, people that responded to this uh, call for this special issue on HCI, which is in part why it it spread out to two issues. You know, of course, I wish I could have included all the manuscripts that be received, but it was amazing that not just, you know, the diversity, but the number of people that are interested in this issue, and and from all over the world as well. We had, you know, submissions from many, many different countries.
0: My last question for you, Michael, and we've touched on some of these already, but what would you say are the most significant trends in HCI as applied to music right now?
1: I guess the the most obvious one is is probably what I've talked about the most the this issue of using new you know new devices new interactions in music performance. So I, I guess I'll turn my attention to some other things. I guess a related one is is this question of evaluation. This is sort of something that everyone is kind of poking at but not really able to to crack i think this question of how do we evaluate a new music system how do we know if it's good or not Uh, is it just a question of you know whether it makes good music and then uh, who's the judge of that how are we to say this is i think one area where the differences between hci and computer music are quite large and quite apparent because you know in hci you design a new word processor it's quite easy to decide whether it works better than the old one, but you can't really say, you know, whether a piano works better than a violin or something like that. Another trend which is sort of unavoidable these days is, I guess, the invasion of robots in, um, <laughs> in music performance which is you know, interesting because I think these kinds of technologies are cyclical. There's been a lot of advances in general in robotics in the past five ten years. There's this whole field that's known as human-robot interaction, HRI, that's also starting to appear in music. So, you know, if, uh, how do I jam with a robotic drummer? Of course, how do I train a robotic drummer to jam with me? And I guess the other thing that we're seeing everywhere is these sort of new, reasonably standard platforms like mobile phones and tablets so now our questions are not just how does a computer become musical but how does my tablet or my mobile phone become musical which is a different question because of the computing resources available to these things. Of course, the different kinds of interfaces that they have, you know, touch screens versus keyboards, but also the, the social environments around them. Playing a mobile phone as a musical instrument on the subway is very different than playing your computer in a concert hall or in a nightclub. So, uh, you know, I guess there, there's sort of exciting things that are happening that, that actually raise probably more questions than give answers, but... The cool thing is that there's a lot of people out there that are just going and doing it and building new fun stuff to play with, which is, I suppose, a big part of why we're in this.
0: So is that, is that more of an underground development? Because it sounds like the technology is super portable. Are you, you know, are scholars of computer music and HCI getting ideas and new technologies from regular people who are messing around on a laptop? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I think, uh, I guess that's, that sort of gets back at this point that I made earlier about the interaction between the academy and the, the commercial and popular worlds. I think a lot of this work is actually happening in computer music research centers, which is also really interesting to see, you know, folks around here playing with mobile phones. But I guess some of the innovations are always going to just happen Some of the innovations will be produced by people that are just out there playing with this technology and create some cool thing. And, you know, one of the great things is that if they just stick it on YouTube, then, of course, academics are going to see it as much as anyone else. So there's a lot of interesting things that emerge from these more open communication channels, I guess.
0: This special issue of Computer Music Journal, Winter 2010, is out now, right now. To browse the Table of Contents, read a free article, and learn more about the journal, you can visit us at www.mitpressjournals.org. My thanks go out to Doug Kiesler, editor of Computer Music Journal, for pulling this podcast together. And, of course, thank you to our speaker today, Michael Gervich. Thanks so much, Michael. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's been a pleasure to meet you.